Everyone, I have a very special announcement to make. Ready? Okay, listen up, everybody. When Gabe Landeskog scores three goals, specifically against Washington, that's called a cap trick. I know. I'm sorry. I'll cut that out. Sackick fakes it. Takes it. Scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into the Burgundy Radio Podcast for November 21st, 2017. Coming up on the show, we'll talk about the Avs' best players being their best players, a tornado warning on the back end, the cursed call-up position, plus we'll uh, try to leave some room for your questions. But before we play the whoosh, your disembodied voices for the week, as usual, include Earl. What's up, Earl? Not much. How are you? I'm about as good as I sound. Uh, joining us again is Ace O'Dale. What's going on, Ace? Hey, going all right. Glad to be here. And back again is the haver of many names, Tiger Vixen. How are you, Jackie? Hello. I'm good. Colorado returned from Sweden to open up with a crushing 6-2 defeat of the Washington Capitals on the back of Gabe Ladd-Descog's hat trick, plus goals from Nathan McKinnon, who also had four assists, Miko Rantanen, who also had three assists, and Colin Wilson, who had no assists. But Earl loves him anyway, right, Earl? You betcha. That was, uh, that was a fun game, and not at all the letdown I was expecting it to be. I was really impressed. Uh, I They've needed bounce-back games a little more than I'd like this year, um, but they've come through, and, and that was just a huge bounce-back after a lackluster performance in Sweden. I was definitely happy that I chose to go to that game. That was a fun one to see. It's always nice when you score, what was it, one minute into the game? <laughs> I don't remember exactly what it was, but to it score that seconds. quick. Yeah, yeah, seconds. seconds. Oh, yeah, 17 seconds or something. Yeah, to score that quick into a game, it just makes for such a much better atmosphere. I turned that one on like five minutes late, and I was like, oh, I regret. Hey, well, so. What was the building like? Was it, was it really jamming? Was it, was it full, and was everyone stoked as soon as Landy scored? Um, you could tell the energy kind of was there, and... You know, there are Caps fans there, but they're, they're not as big of a presence as some of the other fan bases. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it was just a fun time. Like, as the, as the game went, went on, it just it kind of had that vibe. Yeah, it was a fun game. I've been impressed with the uh, Avs this year in that respect, in, in that I, when I looked at the November schedule and saw that there was a back-to-back every week, and there were three to four days off in, uh, in between those every single time. I'm going, oh, my God, we're going to lose half of the back-to-backs, and we're going to lose every single game that we come back from a long break because that's the way they've been historically. But they haven't been doing that this year, and it's been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, and, and winning almost every game at home, 6-1, and one, that's pretty, pretty awesome, too. And I think they're scoring four and a half goals a game at home, something like that. I mean, I, I don't think that they need to tailor their systems or their <clears throat> sort of team attitude towards bringing fans in. But, you know, what, what they're doing is winning them games and it, it's, it's making for a good product on the ice. And, you know, I think that's 
that's a great side effect. Not yeah, definitely. Yeah, win- winning games and scoring goals at home, that's that definitely helps. <laughs> yeah. So this game also saw the uh, complete and utter destruction of new new call-up Kamenev, uh, whose first name escapes me at the moment. A uh, devastating but clean hit from Brooks Orpik. Yeah, that that was tough to see live. That that kind of was like an ooh feeling live. Like it just, I could tell it wasn't good. And then yeah. kind of how the scrum happened after that, and Kamenev snuck off the ice. Like my dad was with me. He didn't even know Kamenev got hurt. Like later on in the game, he's like, "Oh, where's Kamenev?" And I'm like, "He's he's toast. <laughs> he's not coming back." <laughs> it's just a shame because he had played fairly well through that point of the game yeah I mean he only got a half game to show but he definitely you know for for his first period and a half with the Avs he definitely showed that he'd be able to hang there if and when he comes back and then yeah. what people maybe don't even realize was Kerfoot got hurt earlier in that game too yeah it- it was the Oshi elbow, I think it was. And yeah. so he had just returned at the beginning of the second period. And then, then Kamenev went out. It's just like, ugh. Yeah, I saw it reported that Kerfoot went out for concussion protocol. Yeah. Because he took a, a hit from, from TJ Oshi on kind of as he was changing. And some something about the hit, I mean, the hit was a nothing hit, but something about it just kind of rode up into his cheeks and, off he went down the down the tunnel, I guess. Maybe he had to yeah. have stitches because I think I think he does have stitches on the cheek yeah, now. Def- <laughs> yeah, he has he has stitches below his left eye, I think. Um, but yeah, that's, that kid's the, got a that's the second a time head. he's passed con- con- concussion protocol inside of a game. Yeah, I was going to so. say the same thing. And uh, yeah. Vladislav Kamenev, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> he only had four minutes in that game, so I mean. I, he didn't even get half a game. I know. Yeah. It's just just really disappointing that that happened to him. It's just bad luck. I don't know. It was a clean hit, but it's just it's unfortunate. It just looked like he well, wasn't really ready to get railroaded like that. I mean, he, he, he had his head up. He saw the hit coming, but it's, it's like he wasn't quite prepared to get hit quite like that. Yeah, maybe yeah, the speed... He wasn't quite used to the speed yet. Yeah, that's you know that's a Brooks Orpic hit. That's that's what he does. He's good at open ice hits. Um, it's tough because we also saw from Vlad's uh, Instagram that he was sitting in a hospital bed with an IV and oxygen. So you don't usually get that when you break your arm. You usually get that after surgery. So I think I think we're assuming he had surgery to put a plate in his arm or something like that. Um, so which is the worst yeah yeah, it'll it'll allow him to to heal faster Um, you know hope he comes back soon because from what we saw in San Antonio and and just briefly on the ice there it it looked like he's you know he's a guy that can hang in the NHL and and help the Avs out well before we move on why don't you tell us real briefly uh, what what we saw in San Antonio he had a three assist game um you know, he he was very solid in both ends. Um, 
you know, he, he just, he, he, he's obviously from a, a different system. Um, he played a couple of years in Milwaukee and they're pretty famous for turning out NHLers in the predator system. So, um, you know, he, he was just on the cusp of being able to, to make an impact in the NHL on a, you know, on a lower line basis. And they just didn't have room for him in, in Nashville. Um, so, you know, we we, we kind of lost something we might need, but... but yeah, you know, he looked it's... good. He looked defensively responsible, good with the puck, good playmaker. It's a decent shot, too. Yeah. He he was he was good on the the right half boards and the on the power play and whatnot. So, um, you know, it, it's exciting for the future. Let's say. Too bad he's hurt for right now. Sure. So, um, and we can maybe return to this game a little bit more later on. But let's talk about Saturday. Uh, the Avs drop a frustrating one five two to the Nashville Predators. JT Comfer and, and uh, Andre Moronov got on the board with Miro getting his first NHL goal, but the rest of the game was dominated by the Avalanche on the power play getting owned by a stiff Nashville PK, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to spend more time on the power play in general later. But in, in this game, you know, by my eye, they just could not enter the zone. They could not set up. They just got absolutely trashed by a really strong penalty kill. Yeah, and I've heard Jared Bednar say a couple times that they get stubborn, um, especially on the power play. And I, I think what he means by that is they keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And, and perhaps that's not what the coaching staff wants them to do. <clears throat> um, but we we kept seeing the same drop pass and the, the dude, you know, the we'll call him the tailback. And try to get through the line, and it just wasn't working. They were just bouncing off, and they weren't keeping possession, even in you know, e- even in the further reaches of the neutral zone. Um, you know, they they just couldn't figure out a different way to attack the offensive zone five on four, and it was just extremely frustrating to watch. You know, it's like you had a two minute penalty, then another two minute penalty, and then a little bit of five on three with another two minute penalty after, and then a five minute penalty. And you're just like, you know, it's 10 minutes and 54 seconds of power play time. And you guys had 11 shot attempts. Yeah. That's, that's a amazing. full half period. Yeah. You should see that's just, I mean, <laughs> you, you could have dropped off one guy f- played four on four and done better than that. I think they started out. Okay. I think I remember the, maybe the first, or maybe the first two power plays, they got something going. But definitely by the time they got to the five-minute power play, nothing was happening. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were points at which they had possession in the zone and, and they were doing some decent things, but it's just it's overshadowed when you're just looking at it, looking at the stats saying 11 minutes, and you guys couldn't manage to get you know anything that was seriously dangerous. It's almost wow. like... Like it's a type, the power play is a type of thing that can't get stagnant when you're doing too much of it and then too much of the same as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think they're just, they're, they're just kind of new to Bennett's way of doing the power play. And when things aren't going well, 
they don't have a lot to fall back on. And I mean, that's definitely what it looks like, you know, and I think that's where Bednar comes up with the, the stubborn moniker. I think you have to give some props to Nashville too, because yeah. you're talking about, they really are one of the best teams in the central and one of the top teams in the league. And I remember in watching it, my response was, we just cannot keep the puck in their zone. They kept clearing it uh, yeah. every single time. And, you know, you're not going to get much of an opportunity when you're constantly letting them reset. Because I think that's part of really the advantage of the power play is you've got to be able to overwhelm them, which means you've got to keep them moving around. But if they're constantly sending you back out of the zone, you're allowing them to regroup, uh, reset up their fortress, so to speak. And uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to get much against that. And Nashville has some of the best D in the league. Uh, yeah. so it was it was an impressive display of uh, penalty kill on their uh, behalf as well. And it happens that way too. There's a lot of five-minute power plays that teams don't score on. It's just, I think, I think it kind of seems to happen where teams kind of approach it more conservatively because they have the time, and then they just end up wasting the time yeah. when they should go out Absolutely. aggressive against it. I, you yeah. know, um, you go back to uh, go back to the '80s or the '90s, and um, one of the secrets of uh, the Red Wings was they had a power play, and it was called the Torpedo. Uh, they actually had a name for it, and it was it was an aggressive, it was um, high energy, but it was also designed to get everybody in and overwhelm, move everybody to the net, and uh, so that there was also an element of surprise. You couldn't set up for this. And hopefully with Gerard, they can come up with some even more ideas to do things like that, that they, they have that movement at the blue line and the quarterback position now that they didn't really have before. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll get to the power play more in general in a minute. Um, Cause there's, there's a few directions that, that we can take that discussion. Um, I, I feel like in this game, um, Colorado really didn't play that badly. They, I definitely didn't feel like they played five to two badly. And I kind of think their goaltending let them down in this one. I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about it? Yeah, there were a couple of softies I wasn't too happy with in that game. Um, you know, they, they, they did well as far as possessing the puck and, and getting shots on goal. Um, they just, you know, until it was garbage time, they couldn't get anything to, to get past Rene. Um, you know, it's like Max shot off of Renee's face and everything like that. They they had some decent chances and they just they weren't going in. You could sort of feel the the frustration building. Yeah, this this game is between two wins, so looking back on it, it probably wears a little bit better than if they had lost the game against Detroit. But I do remember feeling watching the game, like the effort was there. The execution yeah. was even there. They just, they weren't getting the bounces in a way. And also you just, you felt like Nashville was a better team and that's okay. And it wasn't like, you know, the, the abs weren't, weren't giving it their best there. Yeah. They, they weren't mailing it in. Um, it, it, 
you know, they, they played the right way. They just, uh, I, you know, I just said they weren't creative enough. Um, they, they just, they needed a little bit more to, to score against a team like Nashville and they didn't have it. After the third goal, if, uh, if it wasn't a back-to-back, I was thinking I probably would have been ready to give Varley the boot at that point. So. Yeah, maybe just to change the momentum. I mean, yeah, the the first the rebound goal was a great, and then the I think it was kind of the screenshot. Um, the yeah, I agree. Yeah. The the screen yeah. wasn't that screeny. That's a save you gotta have. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe to kind of change the momentum, but um. You know, like it's not like Bernier's been playing that great himself. I don't know. I don't know if they want to get into kind of the quick goalie changes and things like that at this time. Well, it's it was definitely back something to, back, to consider. So. Yeah, yeah, it was back to back, so they weren't going to pull Barley. Yeah, your hands are pretty tight. Are pretty, uh, mm-hmm. pretty tied. But but I, I was just about to be like, he doesn't have it tonight. Pull Barley, and then right before I pressed enter, I went, they play tomorrow. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, actually, uh, do we want to get to uh, Toninato at this point? Yeah. Um, Toninato was was in this game, and and then he was not in it anymore. He was the recipient hence, of that five minute major <laughs> penalty. Um, yeah, hence the five minute power play. Yeah, Austin Watson got suspended two games for that one. Um, that finally came down kind of randomly in the middle of the evening yesterday. Like, okay, just announce your suspensions during games. That's cool. Whatever. NHL going to NHL. But he was ultimately okay. And how do we feel about uh, Toninato's game uh, on Saturday? And then we'll get into Sunday right after that. I was surprised I they brought him back, to be I honest. I was too. I was too. Uh, you know, with especially, and the reason I brought it up just a few moments ago was because it was a back-to-back. Ah, keep the kid out. You know, let him make sure he's okay and and have him rested for tomorrow. Uh, would have been my uh, my preference. Oh, I th- I think if he passes protocol, put him back in. It says NHL debut. I, I yeah, mom and pops are in this day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you pass, you pass. Like that. That's what those tests are there for so you know if you got to trust the test and it didn't surprise me I think it helped the team that he came back you know if you want to talk about why that five minute power play was a letdown I think it was a, a letdown to the team to see this kid in his NHL debut get hit like that and especially after, after what on. happened to Kamenev and and he was out I just it was a bummer for all of us I mean I can see it was a bummer for them and for him to come back. I think, I think kind of lifted spirits too. Maybe some, I mean, the con- the concussion protocol is not, I don't think it's there for players at all. The concussion protocol is just there to keep the league from getting sued. Um, well, whatever, whatever it is that the trainers do. Yeah. The I mean, deem I mean, if he's okay or not, but like, Concussion symptoms often don't even show up until the next day. I mean, a, a protocol right then isn't a very good diagnostic tool for a concussion. So Yeah, but I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you know, 
you, you have to use the case of what if it's game seven of the Stanley Cup finals and, and the goalie gets hit and taken out and passes protocol. I mean, shouldn't he go back in? I mean. Okay, this is not that. I know, but <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you have to apply it evenly in each situation. As far as a rule goes, yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about a rule. I'm talking about, I don't really think that the, the concussion protocol should be your be-all, end-all decision maker of a game in November where a guy took a shot from, that knocked his head into the glass. And it's okay. already a game that's getting pretty out of hand by the time he comes back. I'm just like, uh, I'd rather see the mayor on the side of safety there. Say you're, say you're holding him out for precautionary reasons and play him tomorrow. That's, that's just where I would be at from a pro player perspective. I mean, I I just leave, I leave it up to them. I mean, that that that's what they get paid for. If if there's a reason why they think it might be not the greatest idea to put him back in, then then I'll agree with that. But they the fact they put him back in, you know, I'm going to assume that whatever they saw was was okay. And and he played okay, and then he was fine for the next game. So I mean, it all ended up well. I was uh, kind of impressed with him uh, while he was there on the ice with the trainer, did you see the way he took his helmet off and spiked it into the ice? Uh, yeah. He was, he was angry. <laughs> he was like, yeah. ah, no. I would be too. That, that was a pretty... It was pretty, a vicious hit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's Predatory. another another reason that I'm thinking to, to be careful with him because every time Eric Johnson's had a concussion, he's responded by getting really mad. That's just what he does. Not everyone responds that way, but EJ takes a, a hit to his head and he's ready to fight somebody. <laughs> Interesting perspective. But, I hadn't noticed that. But overall, I think Toninato played pretty well. He did. Uh, he did. We, we've been saying how good he's been in San Antonio and not really getting a whole lot of attention for it and not really getting like top line play in San Antonio for it. And it's nice to see him come up to the NHL and, and play basically the same way. And yeah. I, I think that's something it. that sort of justifies the way EV was using him down there. Um, you know, he, he was probably one of the top two centers and at times probably the top center on that team, but he, he, Pretty much got stuck in the the sort of checking third line, fourth line role, and I guess if the, if the thinking behind that was well, this is what he's going to be doing in the NHL, and regardless of how much he might look better, you know, in a scoring role on the top lines, we need to get him ready to play for the Avalanche in this sort of role. Now that think- that 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 might not be what Evie was thinking and it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't but um I think it's sort of out. opposite if, if someone's good enough to get that's close to a call up and they're not seeing the minutes I don't see the logic in that I mean I understand the role part like you know if he's a penalty kill guy he needs to be penalty kill guy in San Antonio but we we've seen that isn't consistent like the Avs think of Greer as more of like a third line guy, and then then he goes down there and they play him like an offensive guy. He doesn't play penalty kill, you know. It it's not consistent, you know, guy to guy. And then I think Tony Otto, someone that's good enough to play in the NHL, should be playing bigger minutes in the AHL. 
maybe they think Greer's a top line guy then. Maybe so. We'll see about that. Yeah. I just know that I was but when they when they called him up, I was thinking of you because you'd been hyping the tomato train for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it's glad to see that pay off. Yeah. Yeah, um, we called it. Yeah. Finally, on Sunday, the Avs win 4-3 in overtime over the Detroit Red Wings. They were the better team all night, uh, but it took a full 60 for them to get rewarded for it. Eric Johnson scores his first of the year. Then uh, Neil Yakupov and Carl Soderberg tie things up in the last few minutes of regulation, and Mike Keynes loses his mind on the air, as he does when the Avs <laughs> score 6-5. on five. And McKinnon was just a beauty of a game winner in overtime. Um, yeah. And Totonato got his first NHL point in this game. Yeah, he sure did. He was also 67% on the face-off dot. Um, That's something that was the team is hurting for bad. Definitely. He was tops on the team um, last night in face-offs. And you're right. That's exactly... That's something they they need. And, And we could see, perhaps down the line, that he might be one of those guys that uh, comes in for a draw in the defensive zone and maybe goes off uh, for Miko or something like that. And, and um, you can say, well, they traded away their best face-off guy in Matt Duchesne by looking at like career numbers. But I mean, with with the way they've been enforcing face-off violations this year, Duchesne's face-off numbers went way down. You got to think yeah. he had to have been one of the big-time cheaters. Yeah. Isn't he still over fifty percent? I he's doing a lot so. better than some of our than some of the others. I'll check. I don't think he is, though. Yeah, like like Mac was probably a big cheater because he's really a lot worse than he was last year. Oh, anyway, talk about something else while I go navigate the NHL.com for this. Well, this this game was the kind of the payoff of waiting all the way till the end was was pretty sweet. It was looked like another one of those games where they played decent, but just couldn't convert and then then all of a sudden that they get the Yakupov goal and it just it was nice to see that they looked like they they felt like they could do it and then they obviously did and um how they played that six on five was really really nice just it it did almost look like a sure goal was coming yeah um you know Rudo has a, a streamable of that that whole shift and it's it's worth watching i mean that's that's sort of something you want to bookmark yeah it's beautiful Um, it is and what's really nice about you know they they did dominate that game and and it wasn't paying off really and they had the resiliency which they haven't had you know not just last year but pretty much for many years and they stuck with it and you know, they, they've just made it happen at the end. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really bodes well for, for things down the road. Um, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, really, they're, yeah. maybe they're a little bit better than, than we think. I was really glad to see them come back, fight back, and win that. Um, you know, especially on the road. Uh, starting yeah. to hear some things about, you know, gosh, can the Avalanche win on the road? Oh, no. Um, that, you know, actually, they, they have. Uh, I mean, the Detroit game, they've beaten Philly. They've beaten Boston. They've beaten the Rangers all on the road. 
Yeah, and I think the symbolism, I think the 19th game was that Edmonton game last year when they just got whipped at home and this was the 19th game. It's just such a contrast and maybe it's silly to compare one game to the next, but especially when people kind of looking for, is the cliff coming? Is this how they're really going to play all year? I think, I think this game showed they're not last year. I think officially like they can move on. This is a new year. They, they did something like that where they all came together. They tied the game, then they won it. I think that's going to be something they're going to remember going forward. Matt yeah, I mean, I, I, face-off percentage this year, 53.2% so far. Last year, 62.6%. So that's a sizable drop-off. Continue. Uh, 10%. Still yeah. above 50, though. <clears throat> but I think, you know, Haynes losing his mind like that, yeah, it's, it's, it's total homerism on, on the TV, but... Um, I, I think the way he sort of expressed his feelings about that at the end, um, you know, I, I think that's probably how the guys were feeling. And, and all the fans. Yeah. Well, they showed the video of, of them on TV of all walking in in from the, the tunnel, and they were all, you know, you could just see how happy all the guys were. And, and maybe it is silly to look for so much symbolism in one win. They could go out and lose the next however many, but... You know, I I do really think it means things are different. Just love to see them actually push back like that. And I was a little bit disappointed to see the final um, kind of goal report on that on that game tying goal to see that Gabe Landeskog didn't find a way to get an assist on it because the one of the Wings players was probably three inches from clearing that puck right before it came back to the blue line and then passed back a few times and found its way in. Um, and Landeskog just made like a sheer force of will play. Like you will not get to this puck, and passed it on a line right to Tyson Berry on the blue line. It was a great play that he does not get us any stat credit for to keep the Avalanche in the game. A goal like that, you wish they all could get assists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll get a plus one. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that was i mean the last seven minutes of that game plus overtime were just some of the most enjoyable hockey moments of the season so far and you know there have been a bunch really i mean it's like the philadelphia game was amazing the washington game um you know it's like they they, they keep impressing me and you know again when you look back at last season and how you dreaded game day um, you know, things like this just make you, you know, I'm stoked to see what they do against Dallas on Wednesday. And so I have two thoughts on the overtime of this game. Thought number one is Blake Como was out there in overtime. Yeah, that, that one was a mistake. When he was trying to handle the puck, I think it was on the boards. I was like, oh, no, no. Why is Blake Como out? Colorado had had the puck very just dominantly that's the word dominantly for at least a minute and detroit had out dylan larkin he's fast does como come over the boards (laughs) it's probably a reward saying you did a good job but yeah i mean this is overtime you have to use the horses in overtime 
And then thought number two, uh, Nathan McKinnon is the NHL's third star of the week. Yay. Yeah, he deserved it. And we didn't even shot. really talk about his five points from the yeah. Washington game. It's not very yeah. often you join a list like he joined by having that five-point night, and it just gets completely overshadowed because somebody else had a hat trick. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a fun night for the, the stat sheet, wasn't it? Five points for McKinnon, four points for Rantanen, hat trick for Landy. Yeah, I mean, 12 points on one line. That's, that's good. I mean, usually you're going to have that five-point player have the hat trick. But he was one goal yeah. for four assists. And the hat trick didn't need an empty net goal, which most of them have. Right, he earned it. Although one of them was a penalty shot, which is weird and fun. She yeah. also earned. Right. Yeah, I would, uh, yeah, I'd like to see how many hat tricks included penalty shot goal. That's you know, one for the <laughs> stats bureau. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I bet Elias knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy one to Google. It's the kind of thing that you fire off at the, like the TSN stats account and you have an answer in five seconds. You're going, how do you just know that? <laughs> yeah, I remember any... the last one. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone gotten a hat trick that's been a five on five, a power play, and a shorty? That would be interesting. Yeah, I know it's been done. There's a, that, it's, people have a name for it too, and I can't remember it. Hockey's version of hitting the cycle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, Nathan McKinnon has been fantastic. This last couple of weeks, actually, um, he, his shooting percentage is up. So we'll we'll see how long this lasts. He hasn't generally had a strong shooting percentage, but he's actually still most of his points are coming from assists, and it's just been amazing to see what happens when he's skating with a couple of very talented forwards. Yeah, he's on pace for sixty-five assists. Yeah. <laughs> and 30 goals. 90 95 points. So, giant bust, and we're all very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, it's not 100. And trade that guy. Sometimes it but feels it's... like McKinnon could have a hat trick, and everyone would be like, well, why didn't you score four? Yeah. <laughs> but it's why doesn't he do that every night? Yeah. He do it, so he needs to do it every night. <laughs> why don't you have five points every night person who's not named Wayne Gretzky yeah exactly why doesn't he have 215 points like Gretzky or just score the game winning goal every night the game tying <laughs> goal at least right I mean that's not too much to ask for well look what Stamkos and Kucherov are doing in Tampa right <laughs> why can't he do that well, at least he's the only guy in the team that hasn't taken three penalties in a game yet <sighs> The golden sombrero will get passed around by the end of the season. (laughs) So yeah, claps and shout out to Nathan McKinnon. Let's talk about that that uh, penalty thing. Um, so when when Randon went to the box for the third time on Sunday, and (laughs) Altuve mentioned that, I was actually surprised. I didn't notice that he had had any penalties yet. Oh, those two tripping penalties were terrible. That's probably an accident of me watching it, like, not live, so I'm doing a lot of skipping when play stops. Um, yeah. But how were his penalties mm-hmm. last night? Um, Like, the tripping penalty, like, one was one was the dude stepped on his stick, so it is what it is. 
and that was really soft. The other was, yeah, it was a trip, and I forget what the third one was. Um, it was that interference behind the net. Yeah. That one was. Oh. Yeah. That okay. Was a, that's it. That was, a bone that was really one. soft too. It, it yeah. Was that like, was so they were just wrapped up. up. Yeah. <laughs> he just kind of goes, "Well, I'm going to skate through here," and there's a Red Wings player standing there. It's like, you can't just skate through people, Miko. It's <laughs> not allowed. Yeah, we had, we had sort of a oblique view of that. Um, you know, I, it, it it wasn't. You know, they weren't egregious penalties. It, it a couple were in the offensive zone, so that just you know that was kind of bogus. But not great. Yeah. Um. You know, I I think out of the guys on that line, he he probably you know easily had the worst game. <clears throat> but you know, I think it, it didn't Landy... end up mattering, so that's fine. Yeah, I th- I think Landy's puck handling for the first two periods was pretty off. Yeah, but, I mean that's that's getting into nitpicking a bit too. Sure, I mean Miko's. I mean he was still in I think in the sixties for Corsi for percentage. So, speaking of which, um, Johnson and Gerard. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I um be- before we move on from the penalty parade, I still do want to talk about Zadorovs, and then we'll get to the thing you just brought up. Because Zadorov had like I, three, four hundred penalties on Saturday, <laughs> and and so my question is, are there any of them you're even upset with? I I remember Fry or the Washington game. I don't remember Nashville at all. Which game was it that he had all the penalties? I thought it was Nashville. was it Washington. Well, it wasn't Nashville, and it wasn't Detroit. So, whichever game it was. Oh, okay. I'm just because I was about to say that I don't remember any from Nashville, but yeah, the Washington one. Well, a bunch of those were the the roughing and the scrums or whatever. So, being there live, you know, you they don't really announce the pen. They do, but you don't really get a handle on like why are these guys in the box? What are they calling? You know. So. Oh, that's my perspective. I'm sorry. My perspective. My perspective at that time was just, it was just all scrum related stuff. I don't, I guess he had the one cross check where he broke a stick or something. I didn't see that, but I don't, it was, I, don't really... I think his stick was like broken anyway. And it, cause he just barely touched Backstrom and it just snapped like a twig. Yeah. And I guess huh. it just looked bad that that must've been away from my view or something like that. I don't really remember that one, but I don't feel like any of them were penalty penalties. Well, one of them, like, I think it was Oshi took out Kerf, and I, I think it was Kerf. And then uh, Zadorov goes over and slams into Oshi, and that, that was the penalty. So it was sticking up for a teammate. And then, you know. and then it was Como's boarding, or whatever they called that. And then so and then they got up and pushed Como, and then Zadorov went over there and just pushed the guy over. I don't remember who God, it was. That was. That was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> just like, bad hit. <laughs> Smack the other way. Smack the other way. Yeah. I think this is all stuff that Bednar wants Zadorov to do. You know, maybe not the cross check, but we already said that was a bit soft anyway. Like, I think all the, all this stuff is what they want to see from him. So I realized yeah, I mean, the this... reason I forgot who this was against was because Washington were playing so much like Nashville. They don't have the talent <laughs> to do that. They're a different kind of yeah. team. Washington, yeah. What they, are you doing? They look. I don't know if they just weren't 
completely with it or if they just really are that bad this year because they just they are that bad they they did not look good they they just didn't look like they found the switch you know Ovechkin did nothing five on five all they did in the power play was just trying to feed him in the Iggy spot which was the Ovi spot of course but you know everyone knows that what's coming that's what they're trying to do and they just they were a big team they looked slow and just trying to goon it up yeah, they, I mean, they look like a team that was like <clears throat> that got rid of all their skill guys and bought a bun- brought a bunch of grinders in. I mean, what's well, I Devontae think... Smith Pelly doing on the first line? Right. Come on. Well, Washington wasn't Washington on its second night of a back to back. No, they? they had lost to Nashville, I think, uh, on Tuesday. I think it was. So yeah, like early on in the game, there were some loose pucks they didn't get to that could have been really dangerous, and they didn't, and then. You know, once once they got down by a couple, I think they were just kind of over it, except yeah. for the gooning part. Yeah. yeah, and that was Orpik and Oshi. Uh, yeah, yeah, Oshi had a few guys with the elbow. And Yakupov had two penalties too that game. It was just really strange because I'm I'm used to Washington being so fun to watch, and they were doing this fake tough stuff, and, and yeah, they weren't. They, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed, too. I mean, of course, I won the Avs to win. That's what I was right. there to watch. But it was just kind of like, what happened to Washington? Yeah, I mean, it really it, it really looks like they've tried to make some changes from what they were. You know, obviously, they've been trying to win the Stanley Cup, and they've had a pretty good lineup for a few years, and, and it's not working. So they're going in a different direction. It's just it's garbage. Not a great direction. So, um, no. <laughs> for the uh, for for the next topic, I want y'all to know my note is just: can we just take a moment to appreciate Sam Gerard? Yes, I adore him. It's all <laughs> I do every day. Said. Yep. Yes, he's he's been wonderful. A wonderful surprise. I had no idea that's what we were getting. I had no idea he could play like that, make that much of a difference on the ice. Um, it just it's part of it's the the moving on feeling, but just just him. I mean, he's he looks incredible out there. It's kind of amazing. Oh, that's coming from Nashville. Jumping. Yeah, I just I I love how calm he is with the puck. I mean, that's it's. I mean, you you see guys that are you know in their fifth year in the NHL and they're not that calm with the puck, and you know he he. He feels pressure, and it doesn't bother him one bit. He's just like, okay, I can do this, 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 or this, and here we go. Um, it's, I, I think that's the, the most impressive thing for me about him is, is the way that he can sort of see options and execute right off the bat and very quickly. Yeah, the hockey sense is skating. It was really nice to see him live that game I, so I could watch him just skate up and down the ice and what he could do in the corners and things like that and and the, the plays that he tries to make and yeah the confidence he has and if something doesn't work it doesn't bother him he'll get back to to trying it again the next shift and he's really good in the defensive zone maybe if he you don't notice if you're not looking for it but he's really good at getting the puck moving the other direction and he's kind of a good shot suppressor too like he can close in on guys one-on-one and disrupt their pass just enough to where they can turn it around and get it out of their zone it's 
It's been a joy to watch, that's for sure. I love the uh, interview with him. Uh, it, he was so excited about the trade when he heard about it because he knew he was going to have a tough time cracking Nashville's lineup and uh, felt like he could get in and, on uh, Colorado. So he was going to be able to play. Awesome. Well, and what we had said two weeks ago on the podcast here what, about how just conservative the Avs are about contracts and young players. And, you know, at that time we hadn't seen what they were going to do with him yet. And um, so, you know, if he had known that maybe at the very beginning, you know, <laughs> been a little bit more nervous about sticking around. But um, it's been really nice to see the commitment they've had to playing him. He's played over 21 minutes every single game and looks good with EJ. I hope that continues that they keep playing them together. Yeah. I mean, they've well, been looking know, for a partner yeah. for EJ all year and he's yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. But they've, you know, they've installed Anton Lindholm, Mark Barbario, um, Bigra, Zadorov, you know, they've run through all these guys trying to get someone that can play with EJ and you know, they they trade for this 19-year-old kid and suddenly he's there and it works and you know, that's just that's just fabulous to see. Well, um, well you mentioned uh, the Avs are conservative about those contracts and whatnot, but I really think that they viewed Gerard as the top D that they've been looking for in exchange for Duchesne. So, I think they planned on playing him right away. I, I still think ideal. I still think ideally they wanted more an established guy, but you know maybe they kind of reconciled the what they needed to take, and and took a chance on his upside, which you know maybe maybe will work out even better for them in the long run. For sure, absolutely. I, I definitely yeah, I think it was a little. I don't bit think you could have seen this coming, really. No, I think it's a little bit of a leap of faith on their part, which I yeah. do give them credit because they are so conservative. Like, if he had been their draft pick, would they have earmarked him to play this year? I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, he that's a different to, question. He would have had to carve his spot out at, uh, at camp. But, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm sure that they were planning to play him like this when they made the trade, just based on things that... Um, that they've said in the media and things that have been reported by other outlets such as BSN, shout out. Um, but it's just like, if you're looking for an established guy, you're, that means you're looking for an older defender, right? You're looking for someone who's a little bit far, further along in their career. But if you can get someone who's, if this turns out to be who Gerard is, I have to stress, it's been like five games. But if this is who Gerard is, then... You've got that guy, and you've got him at 19. Right. Yeah. Yeah, even if he's just maybe a little shade under of what he looks right now, that's going to be, yeah, a complete home run. Well, I think it's going to take a little while for his teammates to figure out what he does because <clears throat> um, he's so good at finding guys, and maybe they're not expecting some of his passes or him to be able to maneuver out of situations and um, there, there are times when I've seen he's getting into a little bit of a dangerous situation, like maybe closed in at the blue line next to the boards. It uh, looks like he's probably going to have to exit the zone. 
and you see guys maybe pulling out a little bit and maybe they won't have to because they know he'll get out of it later and, and that sort of uh, allows uh, more pressure to be kept on in the offensive zone. Yeah, that resulted in one of Nashville's goals because he like he skated through four defenders in the neutral zone, and then as they closed in on him when he crossed the blue line, he just fires a pass over to I think it was Rantanen, but it might have been someone else. Um, it was kind of in the guy's skates, but it wasn't like the pass was way off. But yeah, he just wasn't ready for it. He couldn't handle it, and then it went the other way and ended up in the back of the net. Yeah. So I, th- I think once everyone gets used to playing with Sam, that they're really, you know, it's it's really going to leverage what he can do on the ice. And I think the power play too. I I think he's given a little bit more movement. We already talked about the power play hasn't quite been the execution they want, but I think when they really get to using his talents on the power play and can you know scheme things up and things like that, because they haven't had a guy that can quarterback a power play like that like Barry does what he can but I I think Gerard can kind of elevate what they can do on a power play yeah well let's talk about the power play Colorado are 15th in the league which is dead median that's a 19.5 percent conversion rate they're 18th in Fenwick for 60 which is tightly packed with several other teams in the middle of the bell curve um with its struggles this week for one are you very worried about the power play? There's a lot of recency bias going on with how how frustrated some of the fans are with the power play. But in general, are you worried about it? And for two, what's happening to the power play with Matt Duchesne gone? Is there a role that that's playing? And uh, uh, Earl, this rolls right into something that you said you wanted to talk about. And I don't know if you remember saying it or not. I don't. Uh, <laughs> Earl doesn't remember anything. Yeah, you, you tagged me during the Detroit game, and you said we're going to have to talk about Carl Soderberg on PP One oh. on the podcast. Yes, um, and and actually later on that later on in the game they took him off of Power Play One, which is a good idea. Um, it, Carl's been and you know he's not terrible in what he was doing. Um, I think they've been kind of switching around some of the rules, like they took Landy out of sort of the center, you know, high slot. And they put Miko there, and they put Landy on the wall. And I think they've just been trying to mix things up a little bit. Um, but but Carl probably just wasn't the right guy to have there. Um, he's good in front of the net, as we saw on McKinnon's game-tying goal late in the game last night. But <clears throat> I, I think consistently on power play one, maybe... You know, maybe maybe he's better off on power play too. Yeah, I don't mind uh, him on the power play in general, but I agree he doesn't necessarily need to be on power play one all the time. And, and you know, again, like we saw on six v five last night, yeah, he you know he 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 was part of making that goal happen. Um, you know, I, I think rotating that around is is probably a good idea. So, um, and as far else? as Duchene goes, I don't think. I don't think they missed Duchesne much on the power play at all because he's he's never been very good on the power play and um, he wasn't on the top unit anyway. You know, at this point in time, I think the only thing they miss is his face-offs. So then, like, who do we slot? Who who would you like to see them slot in there instead of Soderbergh? Because that PP1 is the McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen plus defender. So who's your plus uh, one forward in that situation? I actually liked when Barry and Gerard were out together. I that was going to be my answer. Try, try that on power play one because I don't think it necessarily needs to be a four forward. 
think they do four forward more because they they had more decent forwards. They wanted to give power play time, but I think I think if they went Barry and Gerard on the first one and then EJ on the second one might be the way to go. And then yeah, that opens up EJ for your second one with then you could put four forwards. You could have Kerfoot and <sighs> Andrew Ghetto and Yak plus one. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah Barry, I'm, Barry I'm fine with matching. Like, Barry and Gerard right. is almost like having the additional forwards. Yeah. And yeah. I think that really confuses the PK because I, I really liked then how they switched. Like they started on their their usual side and they switched to their, their opposite sides for the shots. And I really like that look because I think the movement of that, if they can get that get to do that even faster, I think will really open up the power play. And once again, like I said earlier, that's I think that's a element to a successful power power play is a little bit of the element of surprise. Yeah. And that, that's why for me, for, for what Carl was doing as the fifth guy out there, let's say, I wouldn't mind seeing that rotate and having guys that can do different things. Like maybe put Yakupov in that, in, in the, as the fifth guy and put him on the wall and have him shoot. Um, sometimes have Carl there in front of the net or maybe Wilson in that role in front of the net. Um, you know, just put different kinds of guys in that extra spot. Because I think... Um, I think when they get cl- back to kind of closer to the group that they had last year, I think it, it almost maybe kind of sags back into some old habits. Like, I think there was that one in Ottawa where nobody moved at all. And that was kind of back to, well, not in Ottawa, in Sweden, but you know what I mean. Um, right. Kind of back to kind of the old look of kind of the stagnant power play. Like, I think sometimes having that PP1 with the same personnel i think i think when the top line's rolling of course you want that to be your power play one but i think i think they do fall into older habits a little quicker and i think to freshen it up maybe keep trying a different forward like replace kerfoot you know switch kerfoot and landy or something like that like keep it a little little bit fresher yeah, because I think we saw that a, a little bit in Nashville, especially on the five-minute power play. It's they they got one of the few times they got into the zone. They were very slow and they were very stationary. <clears throat> and I, I, you know, I, I think when you just mix it up a little bit, that you know, you, you sort of get guys moving. Um. I, I like some of the, the set plays they have and some of the things that they're trying to do with getting passes to the middle, things like that. It it definitely looks a lot more creative than it used to. So I guess kind of getting back to the original question, am I worried about it? No. I, I think they've done enough good things on it. I think they've been scoring in, in general. I think Gerard's going to help a lot. Like, I don't think it's a concern. I just think it's something they're going to have to keep working at all year. Yeah, this year's yeah. about development, and they're trying new things. I'm uh, just got a couple of new players that could be very effective on the power play in Gerard and Toninato. Um And plus, I, we talked about, uh, you mentioned, Steph, that uh, the Avs' power play is, is right in the middle of the pack. Where was it last season? Dead last, just about. So this is an improvement. Last yeah. season, they were all back on the power kill. I right. See- 
I think I tried yeah, to go back and count it, and maybe it's not perfect, but I think they have six more power play goals now than they did at this point last year, which doesn't sound like a ton, but I mean, it's it's something. Yeah, they were at twelve and a half percent, I think, at the end of last year. Um, you know, so it's it's like a fifty percent improvement from there. So I mean, it's uh, there's really little to complain about. I mean, yeah, it's not top of the league, but I just I don't think they're built to you know have a Washington style. 25 percent 28 percent uh power play and i, I, I just I, I wouldn't want there. I, I wouldn't want them to honestly i mean it's just i don't i don't like teams that that gear up for the power play so much that that's sort of their you know their that, that's they rely yeah. on Oh, man, yeah. why would you not want that i mean it forces teams to play more conservative because you know if you take a penalty uh, you're gonna get, you're gonna pay for it. So if you've got a if you've got the reputation of having a really good power play, I mean that in itself is an advantage. Yeah, it's just the numbers, though. I mean, it's like if you score one in four as opposed to one in five, it's not a huge difference. I guess their path to success is the five on five play, but um, of course, being able to cash in on the power play and being able to. You can change games that way too by by getting a late power play, something like that. Um, yeah, I mean they're coming from scoring one and eight, so yeah. that's yeah, exactly. you know that's not that's even true. yeah that's not even you know you you can't really count on one every two games. Um, so I just I I I don't like using the power play as sort of you know, a focus on the offense. I, I think you win the game five V five and it, and then you, you, you make it out of reach with your power play. You can um, win a game with a power play. Yeah. And just like you can lose a game on the penalty kill, but you're not likely to lose a lot of games or win a lot of games with special teams across the yeah, And Speaking of, of the penalty kill, the penalty kill is brutal this year. It's 27th, and they're, I think it's 76%, somewhere around there, 78%. So the penalty kill, as far as special teams go, is a much bigger concern than the power play. And the penalty kill has also shown like a huge amount of improvement since the beginning of the year. I'd be interested to see exactly how tanked those numbers are by the first like two weeks of the season. Yeah, when they're at 50%, yeah. Yeah. I, I think them getting, they're still taking too many penalties, I think is part of it, too, but it doesn't to the eye it doesn't look that bad they they seem to play aggressive on it and can get clears and it seems like they've settled into their penalty kill personnel a bit better than early in the year when they're using 10 different forwards a game on the penalty kill yeah so i think yeah. part of it is is tightening it up part of it is goaltending perhaps and part of it is taking less penalties. Part of it may be the Avalanche don't have very good penalty killing personnel, specifically on the blue line. I mean, our the 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 the, the archetype for a defender on the penalty kill is somebody who is not going to get out muscled, is going to get the puck and clear it. You know, is is going to not. You're not talking about somebody like Tyson Berry or Sam Girard or even Chris Begraw, who's more. Uh, you know, skating up with it and a, a good first pass. But the closest to that kind of model you've got is Lindholm, who's broken, or Miro, who's not very good. 
Egress seems to do okay as, with his stick, especially in front of the net. He saved, I think it was last game, he saved a goal. Yeah, that just was a by very clever play. Angling a stick. Um, so I think he can be a good penalty killer, but but yeah, I agree overall. It's, it is kind of another symptom of the blue line work in progress. Yeah, I was trying to find here if... Uh, don't they consider Colin Wilson to be part of the penalty kill? I hope not. <laughs> I'm trying to find those stats, and I'm not looking at them. But anyway, I just thought that might I be representative you, of the problems before there. Before he joined the Avalanche, he had less than seven minutes of penalty killing in his entire NHL career. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's shocking. <laughs> Which is why it's interesting that then they envisioned him as a penalty killer. Yeah, because he'd never had. <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know, it, when they said it over the summer that, you know, they thought he was going to be a penalty killer, I, I looked and I was like, he's th this dude kills like one second of penalties per year. <laughs> he's killed three <laughs> penalties ever. <laughs> but he's yeah. big, right? So... Yeah, he's big, so he has to be good defensively. There you go. <laughs> Just like Joe Colborn. <laughs> the, the bigger the and body, never. the more pucks you can block. Exactly. <laughs> Just ask exactly. JT Comfer. <laughs> um, He's a pretty, pretty wizardry, wizardy on that those blocks. Maybe he just got awesome body eye coordination. Who knows? <laughs> so uh, before we get to the Twitter questions, I want to know if we have any surprises this week for Stars and Scratches. The NHL is going to throw a star at Nathan McKinnon. Then I'm going to declare him as the default winner and say, please don't say Nathan McKinnon. It is too easy. <laughs> well, I think you got to get Landis Gog in there as well. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's just been solid. Um, and again, uh, I, my other star would probably go to EJ. I mean, our best guys have been our best guys this last week, uh, even though, you know, the points may not be theirs, but they've been solid in, in the zone and, and making the plays happen. I would yeah, shout I out our young guys, Gerard and Toninato. Yeah, Toninato got his first NHL point in his second NHL game. That's a pretty quick return on investment. Yeah. And it wasn't like a fluky little deal. Like he's, he earned that point. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree with EJ too. I mean, he played game. He's just the minutes he's playing is pretty incredible. I'll give a shout out to Miro for his first NHL goal. <laughs> so, apart from that Miro shout out, no surprises on the star side. Who do we have on the side of evil and failure? Who do we scratch? Watson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Avalanche players. The injury gods. Okay, so we're going to scratch Gordorg. <laughs> we're going to scratch Austin Watson and, and presumably Tom Wilson while we're at it. <laughs> Might Always. as well. I mean, it's, it's indicative of a decent week that there's no real obvious ones. I think Barbario is probably low-hanging fruit at this point. Oh, but does uh -huh. he ever earn it? 
Oh, yeah. God. That breakaway goal for Detroit, where yeah. Johnson takes Oops, a slap I guess I'll pinch. And Barbario says, hey, I should go chase that. We're probably on the power play. Wait, we're not on the power play? <laughs> Nick Holden would have chased it. Yeah. Um, I, I almost want to give Varley a scratch for the, the Predators game, but he was so good in Washington, against Washington that I, I can't do it. Yeah, I think gold. There. I think you're right. I think tending in general, though, it hasn't been the greatest this week. Even though it has, it I don't think it's cost us a game. I mean, maybe in Nashville it wasn't fantastic, but I don't think that was the entire problem of the game. Definitely. Yeah, um, I, I think it's you know it's as good as it. it I, I think it's they're they're playing about as good as they can. Um. You know, I just I, I think as, asking Varley to to save you know one out of twenty shots every night is is you know it's just not going to happen. I'm assuming so, everyone knows what you mean when you say that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's saved nineteen out of twenty. <laughs> um, yeah, five percent save percentage. Five <laughs> percent save percentage, not bad. Not good, Bob. Uh, not good. Um, but it, you know, I, I think they're playing about as, as good as they can consistently. And no, it's not, you know, it, it's not Vezina level goaltending. And I'm fine with that because I don't think it's a, it's a good mindset to get into that that these guys have to be Vezina every night um, to get them a win. So it sort of puts it puts the impetus to have a good game on everybody else rather than just you know let's shoot the puck a few times and hope the goalie wins the game for us so barbario gets one for his where you going bud moment and uh apart from his goal i want to throw one at miro too cuz if he hadn't scored that goal his game against uh nashville Whichever one it was, he was brutal. I'm pretty sure it was Nashville. It was the game. It was the only game I could actually watch live. So yeah, it was Nashville. Yeah, his net front defense is a bit iffy still. He's getting better, but yeah, I mean he's he's still pretty limited. I think he only played nine minutes in that game. Yeah, I'd like to see him get better in San Antonio personally because I think we've got other options. I, just, I, I don't see him as any being any better or worse than Bigra. Um, you know, when when Nemeth and, and Lindholm come back, then you know, then, then there's definitely going to be a, a conversation about who needs to stay and who needs to go because they can't keep nine. And you know, I was being... about I was about to nominate Nemeth for one of the scratches because I couldn't remember anything he did. Well, that's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the difference between Bigra and Miro being in three years, you would expect Bigra to be considerably better than where Miranoff is, and and this is kind of who Miranoff is. Even, even if he gets a lot of the wrinkles out of his game, it's still kind of who he is. Like, Bigra could, should be able to bring more to a team than than Miranoff can. So, I think Bigra is a real like heady kind of player and needs a lot of time to build up, you know, confidence and, and learn and, and so forth. So a, a scratch here and there is fine. I don't mind him sitting against Nashville because he probably would have just got beat up against Nashville, but um, he, he probably needs to play more than he has been 
And a big reason he hasn't is big number 95. <laughs> well, I, I think it's more that they're playing Barbario and, and Nemeth. I, also Barbario, yeah. Yeah, and when Nemeth is, is there, I think they're, they're going to play him. And so, for me, Miranov is kind of like the eighth defenseman. That that's nobody else really is in the running for that. Like they wouldn't keep anyone else as the eighth. So I because I think ideally they want to have like twenty two, an extra forward, an extra defenseman. So if Miranov's like the twenty third slash eighth defenseman, that's kind of like a role into his own that he holds. And then when everyone's healthy, when Lindholm, Nemeth, Barbario, you know, Barbario, then that's going to be one of those guys has to go. It's not going to be about Murana. It's going to be about which one of those guys is the extra. And maybe that'll never happen because because Nemeth probably will never be healthy when everyone else is. So we were talking up at the beginning of the year, Barbario maybe being, you know, a trade deadline kind of piece, but. He was acquired on waivers, and that's the kind of game he's been playing lately. So we'll see what he does. So um, let's go ahead and move on to a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, Earl put out the call a few, uh, a couple of hours before we, we launched today. We got a few back. Um, some of them being questions that I'm not going to have a huge amount of input on. Uh, starting with this one from Mike Gusev. Uh, sorry for that pronunciation, it's probably wrong, is uh, Jared Bednar's set of systems working? I like that the team's above 500, but is this the result of the team playing the systems right, or just the team finding its confidence? And I would add the third option of, or just better players. I, think I would a, have to a say mix of all three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that, um, and I, I mentioned this today in, in Discord, is last year, Bednar and, and Pratt had to play such a shutdown style that it, it really didn't allow the offense to work at all. And it was just so low event that that was the only way that they could, they thought that they could win a game <clears throat> is just by clogging everything. And it, I, you know, I think it kind of backfired. I think it really made them worse than they, they really were. But this year, they've, they're wide open. They're scoring goals. But they're defensively responsible enough and working inside of the system that that's working well. Um, you know, I, I still have some... I, I, I still don't like the way they, they treat the neutral zone. I think they have some a lot of growth to go there and on the forecheck. But um, it's promising. It's nice to see some creativity, at least. Yeah. Okay. Um, old pal DNFTO, do not feed the octopus. Shout out to DNFTO. Uh, thoughts on the play of Zadorov over the last few games? He seems to be playing more within himself, minus penalty palooza, and results are following. I think he's been good, but I, I never really had a huge problem with how he was playing. I mean, when he overthinks things and he's made a few mistakes, but in general, I think he's he's played pretty steady, and I think in these games that he's played this week, 
I think he's gotten back to more of what they want to see, uh, especially like the physicality in the Washington game. And I mean, I can't really think of any blunders, really, what he did. Like, I think we'd all like to see him play more. Like, if he could up those minutes and get himself into the top four solidly, that would be nice. But they had him out there at the end of the game against Detroit. So I think maybe maybe he is kind of earning a little bit of that trust back. Yeah, I think he's getting uh, getting into it. And I agree. I'd love to see him get more minutes. And I think he will get more minutes. Uh, the more It's kind of like the more he plays, um, the better he's going to get and the more minutes he's going to get. Uh, but yeah, he does tend to overthink things, and I think also the benefit of just playing him more, uh, he'll start doing some of these things a little more instinctively instead of having to stop and think, okay, now what am I supposed to be doing here? It was a shame his goal was taken away again. Oh, yeah. I think he's yeah, had now three goals a, taken away. That cock can fuck itself. Yeah, that was Jesus. brutal. And any, anyone to take a goal away from, it's just like, come on. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> I think Z's had a good week, and last night he was he was back in the top four for minutes. Um, you know, he's he was trailing significantly behind EJ and, and Barry and Gerard, but um, he was also quite a bit ahead of Bigra and, and Barbario. So, um, well, that that you just wrapped up the top four right there. <laughs> yeah, um, it should be. Yeah, I th I think that's you know going forward. I think that's probably best case scenario for for both Z and the Avs is for him to to be the the fourth defenseman and and take that role and and not let it go. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of the things that you know we've sort of groused about before Ottawa. Um, you know, he's not taking shifts off as much. He, he, I, I think trap teams give him a, a, a lot of difficulty. So it'll be interesting the next time we see someone that's that's really on, uh, sort of like Carolina or, or Jersey or you know one of those teams, um, you know because he's he's not making puck mistakes anymore. So if that can, you know, if if he can if he can keep up what he did last night, I think he's going to be sticking in the number four spot. And it's not that surprising that he would start this year slowly, like we talked about this numerous times on shows early in the year because of the injury and he missed so much time and who knows how much that hampered his training and it's a lower body thing so i mean we knew it was going to take him a while to uh to get back to where he was it's just it was alarming how much of a step back he took it immediately but it's it's been coming back i i agree with with everything that's been said he needs more time to keep getting it back um, question that's got a couple of different angles on it, um, from Feral American, if Yak scores 25 goals this year, does he get another contract? Um, I want to remind everyone that despite being signed as a UFA, the Avalanche have Yak's rights as an RFA. <clears throat> I would say yes, that kind of production. I know yeah. the joke. I know the joke is it wasn't stated where he would be signed. <laughs> right, Arena. 
is that, but, especially with with guys like Toninato and Kamenev showing up, and if Joe gets gets his stuff back together at the at the NHL level, and Kerfoot, of course, like is there room for Yak on this roster? Maybe he's a trade deadline trade deadline piece. Yeah, that's my angle on it. Um, yeah, you know, I. I I think best case scenario is that someone wants him or needs him at the deadline and you know, they allow him to pass on. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's unlikely he, he ever gets on a 25 goal pace, but if he was, you know, you'd definitely consider re-signing him. He's not far off. Yeah. I expect to see him probably hit 30 points. I don't know about 25 goals, but probably yeah. 30 points. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'd count anyone for 30, for 25 goals, even though it probably will happen, but but I bet on it. I mean, you still yeah, kind if, of have the the ghosts of bad many years of bad <laughs> offense. Like 25 goals on the Avalanche is not like you know an av- an average to above average mark. It's like excellent. So he is currently um, on a 23 goal pace. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic on Yak than you guys are, I think. You know, with him, it's perplexing. And I hate always comparing him to Grigo because the type of player he is is so different than Grigo, but I think the situation is just so similar. Where you have this talent, and then, but you need to play him to kind of get get something out of him. And you also also have to figure out a role for him. Like, he's... He's not a bottom six guy, but is he really ever going to earn a place in the top six? But I think what he's different at than guys like Toninato and Kamenev is he's a, he's a scorer. He can shoot the puck. He can score goals. You can put him on the power play. You can put him out at a six on five situation, overtime, things like that. Like he's a, an offensive guy and those guys don't really grow on trees. Um, I think it goes back to what their expectations were of him. I mean, you know, were they expecting a top six guy? Were they just expecting a complimentary role player winger? It's it's like, if that's what they expected, well, he's delivering that. And and if he has some sort of decent production, like, you know, 25 goals, probably not going to happen. But let's say 30, maybe 40 points. You know, what what more could you really ask for? And... You know, are are they going to want to replace him with the kid in the system? Like, Greer's not really a direct replacement. Like, he's still kind of part of the youth movement. I just, I think if he's meeting expectations, they'll keep him. I've been just, uh, of the opinion from the beginning that he was a placeholder because um, I don't think they knew exactly what they had in, in like, Kerfoot or Toninato. Uh and I think if he gets 30 points, um, he's a, he's been a serviceable winger. But I don't I don't expect to see them uh, sign him for longer than that unless he really really starts to deliver. Um, just because his getting the production out of him is so frustrating over the course of time. Uh, you got to play him, like you said, uh, Jackie. You got to play him to get the. You got to play him a lot to get those results. And he tends to disappear for periods of time, and so I Long I expect to see time. him. Yeah, I expect to see him uh, probably. I would expect to see him finish the year with the Avs. I mean, it'd be nice to the trade deadline, but I'm I'm not sure anybody else is going to really want him either. Uh, at that point, 
I don't know yeah, if he was so much a placeholder just because they didn't have Kerfoot and Toninato and it's like, well, what did they see him as as a as another winger they needed? I think Maybe they, they saw him. I think they saw him as a serviceable winger. Uh, 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 that's the way I would put it. I don't. I don't think because I I can't imagine the front office actually imagining that. Oh my gosh, we could have a first round pick and he's just late bloomer or something like that. They had to have known that what he had done in Edmonton and what he had done in St. Louis was who he was. They love they love reclamation projects. They though. do. They do. <laughs> they love to think that that they can extract the you know the light bulb out of these guys but after the Grigorenko experience which I never hated him I never thought he was awful but it's you're sitting there asking the same questions what kind of role do we put him in what are we going to get out of him what's the goal long term so it's like they got rid of Grigo and got the different version of him that can score goals it's I don't know I don't see a role for him going forward I don't see a role for him now um I think they picked him up to be a top six winger. I think they really honestly thought that they needed scoring help. And at the time they probably did, but um, you know, they're scoring fine, you know, even without his production. Um, I, I just, I, I think he and Wilson are the two sort of guys in the lineup you look at and you say like, why are you here? Um, but neither of them really do anything that you can say like, all right, we can put this guy here with these two other guys and we can put them out in these situations and they're going to be successful. Um, I think that's true. It's just frustrating. It's like they have two lines that they know what they do, which is the top line and the Soderberg line. And then the other two, it just seems like nobody on those lines has a role. And, And it's nice that we don't have like a traditional fourth line of just like, people taking up space and and their actual players on the roster. But I mean, you can't have Kerfoot on a fourth line at this point with the production he's had, you know, and it's like, it's like they're trying to shuffle between that second And I feel like in a way, I mean, it's okay now because they're scoring goals, but I think when that, they kind of hit a rough patch where they're not scoring goals. You know, I, I wish they would kind of figure out what they're doing with those guys. Like when they bring Jost back, what what are they going to do with him exactly? I I don't think they have a role for any of those guys: Kerfoot, Jost, Comfer, even Andrew Ghetto. And, yeah, and uh, Yakupov's part of that. Well, I just I think when you put Yak on a line, it it puts a lot of pressure on the other two guys because you know he's just sort of a dart without feathers. He doesn't know what he's doing most of the time. You know, you put him in position to make a shot somewhere, you're going to get some production out of him. But other than that, it's 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 really hit or miss. Um, but I also feel like he hasn't been a liability either. I, I mean, I know, know defense isn't really like his strong suit, but I also don't feel like it was like, oh my god, yak. Yeah. No, I mean, he makes some soft clears and stuff like that, but everyone does that. Um, I just, you know, I think if if you're looking, if you're at the trade deadline. And you've got a bunch of these guys that are all kind of doing the same thing, sort of he and Andrew Ghetto and maybe Jost and Comfer and Kerfoot all at the same time. You know, which one do you want to get rid of? It's probably going to be him. Well, of course, because the, the others, I mean, Andrew Ghetto's signed and, and his production's been pretty good. I mean, yeah, at this point, you don't, I wouldn't get rid of him. And then obviously the others are part of the future. 
So you're not you're not going to get rid of any of the kids. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the 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 way that they are probably thinking now is keep them in the lineup, keep them scoring, and then get something from them when you can. I um, I just I don't know. I don't. I can't see them selling Yak. I mean, his reputation. I think it's like the trade deadline almost seems like you're selling a guy's reputation. Like Como, maybe Nieto. Like these guys have the reputation that that a GM knows what they're getting. Like. A GM isn't really going to... That's not like the time for projects. And I think... I don't. Yeah, I don't think Yakupov's reputation at that point will be selling selling it much. And are the Avs going to sell anybody? That's going to be another question. Sell Como. <laughs> well, all right. You know, they might not be able to get anything for him at the deadline. But I, I just can't see them resigning him. He was a cheap sign anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know, you know, I, I just, I don't see them qualifying him as an RFA. <clears throat> I mean, I just, it, it, unless, you know, like, Kamenev comes back and he's terrible and Toninato falls off a cliff from what he's doing in his first two games. I mean, you, you've you got enough of guys that can help you on those lower lines that that having a guy that's sort of one-dimensional doesn't make a lot of sense. And I having guess two with he and Wilson is, is just makes even less sense. So, and, and you have to keep Wilson because he's unmovable. So we just have time for a couple of more quick ones. Um, I'll, I'll take the uh, second question from Rocky Rowe, which is an outstanding name, by the way. Um, when do you guys start looking at the standings? Where do you say, yeah, this is where the teams are at. Is it like 20 games in 30 midseason? The first marker is November 1. Um, teams will still move quite a bit after that, but they're generally where they're going to be. And then, for the most part, playoffs, like who's going to make the playoffs, don't change too much after American Thanksgiving. So by the end of this week, you're pretty much going to know who has real postseason hopes and who really doesn't. Um, That's yeah, we'll the four-point-out mark, right? Is Thanksgiving, is it, or was that... November 1st is the four point out of a playoff spot. I think November 1st is. Yeah. If you're out of it at American Thanksgiving, you don't generally come back into it. Yeah. And then let's close with this one from Sarah Quill. And I want to try to kind of popcorn it. (laughs) If at all possible. I know this is a huge question, so let's try to popcorn it if we can. Uh, What do you guys see as the current major issues with the team? And are they fixable and how. Um, my current major issue with the team is that Alexander Kerfoot is on a line with Colin Wilson, and you fix it by not doing that anymore. <laughs> yep. And I'll, I'll play off that and just sit, what we were just talking about is basically figure out what you're doing with the, the seven guys in the bottom of the lineup. And We already I'll... kind of fixed it with that conversation, so that was a good quick answer. I like it. I'll say consistency, and the way you fix that is just time and experience. Yeah, and I'll I'll piggyback on yours, Jackie. Is uh, youth and inexperience are probably our big things right now, and just, they just need to keep playing. And, and uh, just that'll yeah, turn around. more youth movement, keep it rolling. Like yep. it was nice they called up Toninato. Just keep the youth movement going. No Looking forward to seeing chat. what Bowers can add. 
Yeah. <laughs> no need to yell in chat, says the current major issue is we're still one top four defender short. So that's either not a lot of faith in Barry or not a lot of faith in Zadora. I'm not sure which. Probably Zadora. Silent <laughs> so, development of Gerard. Yeah, we all that too. Uh, next week, Colorado don't get much of a holiday break this week. On Wednesday, the Dallas Stars are in town for a 7 o'clock mountain start. Then on Black Friday, the doors open early in Minnesota. It's a 2 o'clock start against the stupid wild. Then on Saturday, the Avs travel back home for an 8 o'clock mountain start, question mark. It's against the Calgary Flames. All games are on local channels, and it looks like the Saturday game will also be part of Hockey Night in Canada. Another day game? (laughs) Another weekend back-to-back. Yep, every weekend in November. Just... It's just like a minor league schedule. Is that the third weekday day game? What are they doing to us? It's Black Friday. It's a national it holiday. To do. It's it's North American buy shit day. You can buy you tickets to... to an avalanche game. There you go. You have to have something Except to do after Minnesota. you. Yeah, when it's noon and you're done shopping, but you still can't take a nap because you just had your fourth five-hour energy, then you can just go to the game. <laughs> no, that's in Minnesota, though. Oh, if, if you're at home, you can sit on the couch and watch the game and pass out in the middle of the second period. And if you're in Minnesota, you go to the Mall America. And have been there since 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. With everyone else in Minnesota. <laughs> These are three then, extremely yeah. winnable games, y'all. Yeah, I, I, I really want to say six points, but I know it's not going to happen like that. Um, I, I think we'll 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 get four points, and we'll we'll probably lose to someone that I don't want to mention. I a hundred percent agree with all of those words. <laughs> <laughs> that Calgary game, they didn't play great against Calgary last year, which I know last year isn't greatest barometer, but. For either team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I could see them win the first two and then drop the Calgary game. I'll go with that. That would be my favorite four point outcome. I don't think it's yeah. what's gonna happen though. I won't tell you what I think's gonna happen. Well, you just told us what you think is gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> you think they're gonna happen I, I you think, think you they're gonna that. lose to Minnesota. I don't think I said that. I think you said that. I didn't say it either. <laughs> but yeah, I'll go with the four points as well. We take two or, of those. Or Dallas. It seems like we play them every, every week. <laughs> so we play that Dallas with well. Rampage. It's like <laughs> somebody's playing the Stars every week. And I think they play Dallas like next week too. Uh, that... Or in like two weeks. It's They play another game against Dallas pretty soon. It's like December 3rd or somewhere around there. And before we get got to play here, Dallas a lot. Let's have a look at when Colorado played Dallas. Colorado played Dallas on October 20 October 14th, October 24th, so that's about 10 days later. And then they win a month this time and we'll see them on the 22nd of November and then we see them again on December 3rd. And then we get to go another month and see them on January 13th. That should be it, it, then. That's five. Um, I thought that was four. No, that's it. Okay, you count better than me. So, yeah. 
quite a bit of Dallas to start the year, but we also get them out of the way. Kind of like Ottawa. Get them out of the way. And do it in Sweden, too. You don't have to actually go up to Canada. Canada? <laughs> yeah, that's where Ottawa's... Ottawa's got an arena situation that's kind of like uh, not Phoenix's. Where the arena is not in town. It's kind of... Yeah, sounds like Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, if... When the Avalanche get four points next week, no matter where the loss falls, you know, you can find out here. I will now have a much smoother readout than last week's. You can always catch the show on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio or on MixCloud at MixCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio. I post every week to BurgundyRainbow.com where you can leave comments and yell at us or you can join the Discord, join the conversation and yell at us about audio quality there. Or on Twitter at Burgundy Radio, you can yell at us about audio quality there. I don't use that account very much, but if you yell at me on it, I will get your message. Um, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes if you want to just have things automatically download theoretically or on your favorite RSS catcher um, apart from that just keep an eye on the show um, on Twitter and on Discord you'll always know when we're coming at you latest ads, news and updates from BurgundyRainbow.com and we will see you hopefully back at a normal time next week I just looked at the schedule and forgot what, when their last game next week Okay, good. S Sunday's off. Yeah, back on Monday next week. Keep your head up, dirty areas. See you next Monday. I I I posted it. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, it was I think you. you did. Oh, really? Was it today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was this good. morning. <laughs> like. 11 or so. Or at least huh. 11 my time. Not your time. Ah, so uh, it's lunch. Hmm. I really should remember that.